Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. And thank you for joining me today here on The Moment. I'm really excited about today's show as a, as a traveler and as kind of a frustrated traveler who in the last year has not been able to really travel. And that's why I wanted to talk to B. Broda. She's, uh, she's done a lot in her life as a traveler. She's currently the host and producer of a, of a wonderful show we're going to talk about called Out of Town Adventures. But she's got a, a really, um, really interesting past as a traveler, as a journalist, as a producer and all kinds of things. B., thanks for joining me today. You know, it can really make your day when someone phones you and says they want you to be a guest on their radio show. So thanks, Chris. It's my pleasure. Hey, you know what? I, like I said to you, I think it's been, it's been too long. You know, we've sort of operated in parallel universes when it comes to travel. You know, it's, um, I do a lot of writing. You've done, obviously, incredible broadcast work. But the first thing I want to know, was there a moment in your life, because we just kind of start off talking about big moments, where you knew that travel was going to play an integral part in your life? Or do you remember a moment or two where that sort of kicked in and you thought, okay, I've got, I've, I get the wanderlust thing and I'm going to act on it? Well, I think it was an evolution, as many things are. And my mom was a history and geography teacher, and she'd come back from trips to the Arctic or the Philippines or Hong Kong with these amazing pictures. So it was just in my DNA. And uh, I became a talk show host. After five years of having amazing guests and, and terrific opportunities there, I left it to become a travel show host, thinking that would be fun. But it wasn't until my very first trip, and it was in the Bahamas and the Caribbean, and I had uh, flung my legs around the bow of the ship, as I usually do to bounce along the front um, like a mermaid, <laughs> <laughs> um, that it occurred to me, Eureka, travel and television is what I really want to do. And uh, I don't want to tell you how many years I've been doing it, but, but yes, it, it was that, that was a moment. And I, I knew because your show was called The Moment, you would ask me that. Um, but there have been a number of moments in this evolution. And, and some, some of it is in terms of finding out more specific things about what I want to do with travel. But I would say that particular moment was the one where I realized I could combine all my interests and abilities in television and writing and uh, uh, funnel them into the topic or microcosm of, uh, of travel. Well, it's a, that's, a, that's a revelation, that moment when you feel that. And I mean, it brings you now today, you've been doing your show, Out of Town Adventures, for how many, how many um, seasons is it now? It's three seasons. So that's 39 shows. It's a lot. So it does take a fair amount of time, as you know, to travel to 39 places. Well, that's the thing. And, and it's, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. It's easy to look up on Amazon Prime. There's a nice description here that says, Out of Town Adventures travels both near and far to discover the best adventures the destinations have to offer. This TV series is dedicated to presenting history, culture, and geography in a fun and positive way. It encourages people to explore this beautiful world, something that starts with simply getting out of town. Has it been you know, frustrating for you in the last year to not be able to get out of town as much as maybe you're used to be? 
It, it is. I have not gone to India, Pakistan, Zambia. Uh, I was going to do a, a tour of the civil rights movement in Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi. There were so many wonderful things, but these will just be postponed. Um, what it has done, and you'll notice there are two shows about Toronto in season three, Toronto area, is that's where I live for half the year. And so I was around and I could go and, and pick up some of this, this material. But you know what it does? Um, and you have an interesting history in this. You do something about Huntington Beach. And you could probably do hundreds of shows on Huntington Beach. So instead of looking at the, the large picture of the earth, we can look at some of our macrocosms. And, I and agree. I'm finding a great deal of delight in that. And you know, it's, a, it's just about getting outside, about feeling and hearing nature. Uh, it can be so transformative. And you know, each and every experience is going to make us braver and interested in taking the next step. Now you could talk for half an hour on one building you know, on its history and, and, and who was there before, what it, it stands for. I mean, it's just incredible what we can find out. I have been in, in small ghost towns with a population of five people where, you know, it's, it's just incredible to see what's there and to hear the stories of those few people that are actually there. So it's been delightful to go more inward. And, and my show is, is, is um, everywhere. You know, sometimes I travel to 15 countries a year, but I think that I could do a whole series on Palm Springs, just as you are doing on Huntington Beach, because we turn up the stones and there's just so much there to discover. I agree. There's some, there really is something to be said about your own backyard. And I mean, obviously, you know, you, you'd never have to leave Southern California and you could produce shows forever. You know, there were so many stories. And even in a place like Huntington Beach and by extension, Orange County. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, cultural history. There's a lot of, um, you know, California history and things. And it does. I, I agree with you in being forced to sort of look in your own backyard. I mean, I've lived here 20 years and I thought I knew the whole lay of the land. But in the last year, uh, yeah, to your point, it's forced me to go into other corners and, and lift up rocks maybe I didn't notice were there before and find some really cool stuff. So I think, yeah, it has, there, there has been a benefit, I guess, to sort of, you know, making us look a little bit more micro versus macro. Um, but that said, I mean, you'll obviously be, you'll be back on the road soon enough and, and breaking out, you know, across other borders. I mean, just the trips that you mentioned that you had set up this year is a real testament to what you do. I mean, looking at I'm scrolling through your episodes right now, and we go from the Grand Canyon to Iceland to Switzerland to Palm Springs to Rwanda. I mean, it really, <laughs> you, you, your, your diversity in terms of where you go and the stories you tell is uh, is really impressive. What's the feedback been like on the show? Um, I'm finding that people are, I think, just enjoying that they found something. Uh, I'm always surprised when when someone goes off to see the show and says, oh, I really liked your whale tour in Iceland. You know, it was funny. And, and the funny thing about that show is we saw no whales. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I was able to stretch out a, a whale watching segment to not seeing any whales, but someone oh, enjoyed funny. it. They just, they just found the humor in it. So, so for me, it's been interesting what people are picking out when they watch the show. Uh, a very popular one is the Dude Ranches of Arizona. Now, that one was fun. And that's another one that can be kind of in your backyard because there are ranches everywhere. But uh, uh, I would say that's been the feedback for me. It, it's been positive. People like to travel, that's for sure. 
Yeah. Well, again, I, I just think the scope of shows is so so entertaining. I mean, are there places, what were a couple of places that surprised you that maybe you had an opinion of going in, but then once you got on the ground to do your show, to shoot an episode there, opened your eyes in a way that uh, you didn't expect? Are there a couple of places like that, that that rise to the top? Geez, there's so many of them, but um, ones that spring to mind are ones like Uzbekistan. Uh, and again, my mom came home with pictures of her trip <laughs> to Uzbekistan. So I kind of knew what was there. So I was expecting vivid buildings with, with impressive historical mosaics. But I did not realize that you could have an incredible party with a family and, and in fact, a whole town participating in a lunch to make sure that you were happy. Exchange not one word in common, but come away feeling like you were friends for life. So it's those kinds of things that, that I love. And actually post-pandemic, if, if we can call it that, post-pandemic travel, I think is going to have more experiences like that, where we're a little bit more conscientious about the planet, about traveling, um, about incorporating other cultures and, you know, and being interested in what other people are doing just a little bit off the beaten track. Because one thing we're, we're finding out about in this time is that the planet has been in trouble environmentally and there's a problem with over-tourism. Mm-hmm. So one way we can you know, circumvent that is to start branching out because we're never going to stop traveling, but branching out to the places that are a bit more off the beaten track. Now, when you say that, I have to tell you, when you talk about over-tourism, the first image that jumps to my mind are the shots of Mount Everest today and, oh. and the traffic jams that occur up there. And I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I mean, that's, that's not a trip that I ever really imagined doing. I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by what's happened up there and just how, how sort of unspecial it's become and, and how the traffic and the, and the population and the, the garbage, I mean, it's, it's an issue up there now. And, but the images of people trying to summit and climbing over each other and having to wait and queue, it's really, there are certain spots that have become overrun and it's, it's tough. I, I don't know how you manage that. It's, um, it's been very disappointing, actually, to embark on some place where you were thinking you were going to be one of the pioneer travelers and find it that overrun. And as beautiful as, as Vietnam is, and I'd certainly recommend it, it's becoming that way. It's become really popular. But, you know, when I saw the Mona Lisa the very first time, my dad took me to Europe to see different art galleries in France and Italy. Um, the Mona Lisa was just there in the room at the Louvre. And then the next time I saw it, it had a, a cover on it. It had a frame with some glass. Oh, you saw it. You saw it without the glass. Yes. Oh, wow. So I don't you know. That dates me. I understand. In <laughs> fact, I was there a week before the Pieta was smashed in Rome. So <laughs> if you uh, want to look yeah. that up. But, uh, but then the last time I went, oh, my goodness, they were, it was roped off with yeah. lineups. And the funny thing is my favorite painting in that room. Is, uh, is in that, it's in that room. It's on the left side. It's far away from that roped off area uh, by Anne-Louis Giraudet de Russie Triosin. But nobody sees that painting because they're in the line to see the, the, the Mona Lisa, which is a fairly unimpressive painting. I mean, you know, right, respect to Leonardo da Vinci, but... <laughs> He's got but, other pieces that I think are more impressive. 
but uh, the, um, the, the opportunities on this planet, as you've discovered in your mecca of Huntington Beach, they're limitless. They're just limitless. You know, when you, when you, each person is a story, each person that you meet, you know, my Facebook friends, when, when I go through, a, when I post a picture on Facebook and I look at all the likes and comments, sometimes I will just look through them slowly and I'll think, oh yes, that was my taxi driver in Seychelles. And oh yeah, he was my guide in, in uh, Istanbul and that sort of thing. And, and it just warms my heart to think of all of the people you know, all over the world and, and, uh, and connecting with them. I think it's a beautiful time to, you know, technologically to uh, connect. Well, I agree. When you and I both started what we do, you know, either as writing or TV or whatever, it was a different world and communication was different. And there weren't, the, there wasn't this kind of social media. There probably wasn't any, at least in my case, there wasn't. No. And I agree with you to watch people now to have a web of people that can communicate the way they do and, and, and just reach out. I mean, I remember being in the Canadian outback a couple of years ago and with my daughter and it was rugged. I mean, there was really nothing back there, but there was one, and this living with this family, staying with this family um, in a very rugged part of um, this forest. And there was one spot in their cabin where if you positioned a phone, it would get like a half a bar, right, on your phone. And they did that. They had, they had a smartphone. And we caught fish one day, caught all these beautiful um you know, walleyes out of the lake and the, the matriarch of the, of the home photographed it. And she came back later and she whispered, she was, come, 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 look quickly, look quickly. And she brings me over to her phone, which is positioned on the windowsill. And she says, look, 200 likes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was, there was, you know, it meant something to her that she was connected to the outside oh. world. And people were yeah. reacting to her picture of the fish. So, yeah, it's, we've definitely kind of condensed and shrunk things down where we can hear from people. And that, that is a really nice thing. I mean, you brought something up, though, about what frustrates me sometimes, and I think it's a bit of a traveler's conundrum, is we want places to be popular and be appreciated, yet the numbers can sometimes be unmanageable. I mean, Yosemite and a lot of national parks have had these issues with overcrowding, whether it's Yellowstone, Yosemite, you know, animals get approached, people that maybe aren't used to um, dealing with the natural environment, uh, you know, and kind of feel like the world is their petting zoo all of a sudden can create sort of chaos. And I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that as someone who likes to travel, but um, you know, out here in Southern California, there's a, a super bloom every few years where yeah. beautiful flowers grow on a hillside, especially in Temecula, that's sort of the hotspot for it, which yeah. at one time you could just kind of go see and wander around, but it became so popular and so explosive that, you know, there were wait, you know, traffic and waiting lists and reservations and all of this. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how you create sort of fair access without letting someplace getting popular to the point where it, it robs it of its charm. You know what I mean? Well, I can tell you from an industry point of view, from what I understand, um, there are many tour companies that are now arranging things that are more off the beaten track. So can you imagine in India, the lineup to see the Taj Mahal? But there are so many amazing places there. I went uh, over a year ago on a female empowerment tour uh, with Classic Tours Collection. It was, um, it was interesting. We went to the south of India where women have been powerful throughout all of history just to look at the different places. And already the south of India is not over-touristed. But places in Pondicherry, um, you know, some of the, the tea plantations along the way were amongst my best memories. 
And I have done the, the golden triangle of India, but sometimes these specialty ones uh, are the ones. So, so as I say, the tour companies are creating these tours. And I think that we have to just go and find them. If, mm. if we're interested in, in um, sea life, you know, to find a tour where they're doing a, a responsible whale watching tour or whatever. That's the kind of thing that can really open our minds when we have right. an interest and then we go somewhere, you know, to, to uh, discover it. So I know E.B. White said, always be on the lookout for the presence of wonder and uh, we can find it everywhere. Absolutely. And I think, again, to your point about sort of what post-COVID travel will be like, I think open spaces will definitely be a bigger part of that. And, you know, you know, distancing in a lot of different, on a lot of different levels, not just six feet apart, but also, you know, six miles apart. It's, I think it's going to lead to a lot of exploring of open space that we haven't seen before, which is, which is a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. I also think that during this pandemic, people are getting out in their backyards. In the in the hiking trails and lakes, just of their own area. Oh, absolutely! All we can do. So, you know, I spoke to just this morning. I spoke to online uh, dozens of third graders about local history. They they have this great charter school here in Huntington Beach, and I've spoken to them a couple times before. And these kids were ready at the end of the talk to go out and start exploring and to find things to photograph and document with their families. And again, feel like they have sort of the inside secrets about why there's a, a horse hitching post, you know, embedded arena, a metal ring embedded in the sidewalk and, and what that means and what that connects you to. So I agree with you. It, it is, there are a lot of positives. We're going to take a very quick break, B, talking with B Broda. We're going to come back and talk about her show in just a second. I'm Chris Epting. This is the moment and we'll be right back become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america chris hefting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel bible roadside baseball in june 2019 academy award nominated director ken burns said about roadside baseball what a wonderful book all the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here big and small Telling and frivolous, I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover. More rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. Hey there, thank you for rejoining me. My guest today is travel expert and TV host, B Broda. 
Um, B, I was looking at season two the other night of Out of Town Adventures. And I mean, again, you're just all over the place. You take us to England and then San Francisco and Tijuana, Sedona, you aforementioned Ghost Town Tour of Nevada. Um, how do you, when, you, when you're sitting down to sort of concept what your shows are going to be, what, what's your approach like? I mean, you make a decision. Do you group places together geographically within a season? How, do you, how does the show sort of come to, to fruition each season? I would have to say serendipitously. Okay. <laughs> I don't really plan a season. I travel based on personal interests coupled with invitations. So I belong to a number of uh, professional associations in travel, most notably SATW, the sure. Society of American Travel Writers, of which I'm a past president. So uh, when you're in organizations like that, you get to network amongst the industry. So uh, the tourist boards get to know who you are. And if you're a specialist in golf, they're going to send you to Scotland. And if you're a specialist in spas, they'll send you to Switzerland sort of thing or skiing. So um, a lot of it, I'd have to say, is by invitation. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes, I mean, I, I bought myself a lifetime travel package. Like I have to go somewhere once a year. And I did that to force myself to not work <laughs> when I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. But every single time I've filmed when I've been there, because I just love filming. I just love taking in the world in my camera and telling the story that way. I guess it's just what I do. <laughs> we all have a, a creative gift. And, and um, I know one of yours is writing. Your, your books are fabulous. And, and mine, I guess, is, is telling the story with video. Well, how do you, I mean, on that, and thank you for your, your comment. I appreciate that. Um, but your production, talk about the production. How does it work exactly? Because the shows look great. I mean, they're, they're shot beautifully. They're, they're, they're edited very well. Um, they're, they're very engaging. What's your production process? I mean, what is it like for you on the road? What are the components you use? How do you get them done physically? Well, that has also been a, a journey and an evolution. I used to, when I first started, have a, a crew. There was one person just to carry the tripod. And um, for, for 17 years of doing this, I was with a husband who was, who was doing this with me. So he was the camera operator and, and uh, I was the writer and, and producer and host. And, and then um, he had some different interests. So as the equipment starting to get, started to get a little smaller, um, I took over the job of being the camera operator. So, and I learned to edit first on Avid and then Final Cut Pro and now Premiere. And so actually I'm a one person production studio and I don't do it that way. I have the, a wonderful um, editor now, Dave Cutler is, is uh, editing with me and traveling mm -hmm. as camera when we can take two people. So otherwise I'm, uh, I'm taking the shots and, and uh, throwing the stories together and narrating and that sort of thing. So it's a process. And fortunately, now I've got a distributor. So that's the one who uh, put it on Amazon Prime. So at least that marketing part, I don't have to worry about so much anymore. Well, it's a great but, platform. I mean, again, the way they're gathered, it gets, you know, you're in great company, obviously. And I mean, that's super impressive to be able to get those done in the field like you do. It almost feels like you're leaning on former news habits and disciplines of knowing how to build a story in the field. Is that a fair um, take on it? You know, it is. I, I think I am still a little bit old fashioned that way. I'm one of those people who believes you should say what you're going to say, say it, 
and then say what you said. <laughs> right. I totally agree. Now, those were the, for those that don't know, those were sort of the cardinal rules for when a lot of us were growing up, learning about public speaking and how to tell a story and, <laughs> and in newsrooms and, and things and broadcast journalism, that that's how you prepare a story. And Another to me, one. it never gets old. Honestly, I don't know why we ever moved away from it, but I'm glad there are still people that use the practice because it really is the way. I mean, I do a, a memoir workshop class and you know the basic components of storytelling are really just that. I mean, it's, you know, having your little conflict and resolving the conflict, all those things that are, that really matter that help a story get appreciated by people. And I think, you know, watching your episodes, it's, it's obvious that you have that, that discipline and that experience and that you apply it. And I hate to say it's old fashioned, but it's, it, to me, it's more like classic you know, of, of a way of, of, of telling stories in the field. I'd like to also start with the big and go to the smaller and then proceed to the smaller from there. So you start with the overview and then you get into the taxi driver. You know, So it's just, mm-hmm. it, uh, it goes to that way too, I think is a good way. And then one other important point is that it has to involve passion. And one time I, I attended somebody's presentation on how to make a master presentation and it was brilliant and I'll never forget it. Uh, about the importance of having a reason to say what you're saying. And that is, he said, imagine you're on the 10th floor of an apartment building and a fireman bangs down your door and he said, you, your building's on fire. You've got to get everyone out. You've got to get the message to everyone on your floor. And he leaves. And he said, so what do you do? Do you go fix your hair? Do you go get a notepad and start preparing a, a, a speech? No, you go out there exactly as you are in your pajamas and you bang on every door. And he said, if you don't approach what you're doing with that level of passion, don't do it. So that kind of has stuck with me as well. Do you be when you go out to do a story, how much would you say is prepared versus what you sort of stumble upon or are illuminated by a local that says, hey, wait a minute, you need to see this? I mean, is it 50 50? Is it 75 25? What's sort of the breakdown of what you go in with and what you come out with? I would say I would divide it into thirds. Um, the reason being, often when I go on one of these tours, I'm with a tourist board or someone that's organizing the trip. So we usually talk beforehand about the kinds of things I'm looking for. So that would be the first third. The second third is when you're actually there and you start talking to the people and finding out what, you know, what it's like where the tire meets the road in that particular place. And you pick up brochures that aren't available everywhere. They're, they're just available right there. And then when you get back and you're distilling all of this, and then you're also Googling some of the things you didn't know you were going to see, you create the rest of the story. So, and then in video, as you know, if you don't have the picture, you don't have the story. So one is able to be far more creative with it, writing, mm-hmm. than in video. Because you literally, you have to use a vernacular for the general public. Um, and you can't write about, you can't wax poetic. unless you have something to actually back it up uh, with the visuals. So, so like I say, it's probably third, third, third. (laughs) Excellent. Are there places, I mean, again, I'm I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but in terms of your list of places that you haven't been, is there a short list that you, uh, that you want to tackle as soon as you can of of places that for whatever reason, you just haven't managed to get into your uh, television repertoire yet? Uh, The bucket list. Um, actually, I was trying not to use that term. Yeah, I know, I know. That's uh, one of the passe terms now, but <laughs> it is 
it's a good one still. So there's places I haven't been. And you know, I sometimes or I've ordered that map where you can color in all of the countries you've been and, right. and a couple of the gaps that I have. And, and one of the gaps is because it's such a geographically gigantic place is Greenland. Whereas there's only a small part you can actually visit. It, mm-hmm. It's a huge mass of land. So Greenland is for sure on that list. What is it about Greenland that, that um, interests you? It's, um, you know, it's got to have a very different culture because of the fact that it's so away from things. I've noticed that. I mean, I'm from Winnipeg <laughs> mm-hmm. and I've been up to Churchill and, uh, you know, and further north. And I know, I know how that kind of isolation can change your trajectory as a society, uh, even in Iceland. And I find those things quite beautiful. So these people are living in 24 hours of darkness for some parts of the year. So I just think it would be interesting to go there and just see how that place ticks um, Mm -hmm. and find out more about how it always has ticked. So that puts that one as probably number one. Is there a close Um, second? (laughs) Well, it's funny. It's quite accessible and I really should just go. And that's Tahiti to Bora Bora, where it just sounds like a, a heaven on earth. And I've been to other heavens on earth like Palau has got to be very similar in Fiji, places like that. But uh, so Tahiti's there. And then more than anything I'd have to say is there are a lot of countries in Africa and I've only been to five or six of them. So I would like to do more of Africa. (laughs) Yeah. So Namibia would be one and Uganda, Kenya, uh, you know, definitely Ghana are on, on that list. So more of Africa would be what I would strive for next. Maybe travel journaling has become a real thing with a lot of people, which I think is a great thing. I, I think people should write more than they do, uh, not even commercially, but just for hobby. I think it's a good practice. Has that been part of your travels? Have you kept a travel journal? Have you written much in addition to the broadcast work you've done? I wish I had, Chris, you know, and there was a time when I thought I could repurpose my scripts for for hard copy reading. And you can't, you know, you really can't. It's a completely different way of writing. So. Everyone tells me I should write a book because, you know, when I roll through all the experiences in each place, I wish I had jotted it down. But no, I haven't. I really haven't. So I think I'm going to take your course on memoir writing. (laughs) Well, you know, listen, I I think I I appreciate that. You're always welcome. I mean, I think that your experiences are, you think you should write about them. I mean, obviously, I I think the more unique a person's life is, the more incumbent is upon them to to document it so that other people can not just vicariously live from it, but also, you know, get inspired a little bit and maybe take that plunge, that trip, you know, someplace where they've thought about, but haven't really had the nerve to, to act on it because you, you know, you travel not just to the basic places, but you, you go pretty far afield as well. And I think that's a, a testament to why your show is so well received and, and it's so much fun to watch because you, you throw yourself into a lot of situations that are, that are fun for the viewer to sort of take part in, you know, they're relatable, but then you kind of go the extra mile, so to speak, and, and show people where to things like off the beaten path. And I think that's what really makes it special is, is how far you push when you're out there. Well, you know what, I really want to say something about that, because maybe one of the reasons I haven't written is that everything that has happened to date is what I am today. You know, it's, it's more of a personal transformative thing to me. Um, and I'm not sure I'm really, um, 
expressing that very well. But each experience, you know, each time I was brave enough to do this or that has led to the next thing, led to the next thing and, and creates me. It creates the person I am. Um, so for me, I believe in transformational trips. And I think, again, post-pandemic, that many of us are going to be more interested in what can I do to advance my life, my soul, my experience in, in, in this lifetime that I have? You know, and I, I'm all for going on a beach vacation and having margaritas and whatnot. But I think that if we can find something that moves us forward uh, as, as humans is something that I'm, I'm hoping to communicate in this. Um, there was one time that uh, another one of those aha moments was when I was in La Réunion, otherwise known as Reunion Island, and they have a really, really high suspension bridge. And my heart is up in my throat on suspension bridges. I do many things I do because I'm the host and I have to. I've been covered with snakes. I've, I've done everything so that it can be on camera. But I don't like suspension bridges. And this one was... Oh, uh, can I tell you, I'm going to interrupt. I can't <laughs> go over them. I, it's a whole other side story. But I have developed in the last five or 10 years or so a... Uh, it's not even paranoia. It's, a, it's an obsessive fear of them. So with that in mind, go ahead. I mean, listening to you talk about them, my, yeah. act, my pulse is quickening. But go ahead. Oh, and, and, and I, uh, I, I, just, I just hated it. So, but I did it. So here I am. It's so narrow and it's just shaking. And I don't know how high it is, but there's canyons <laughs> below and, and, and there's just ropes for the, for the handles and, and just a rickety bunch of wood for, that you're stepping on. And then I thought, why did they build this? Why is this here? Why am I here? And I just slowly, slowly cranked my neck up <laughs> mm-hmm. and I looked to the left and I looked to the right. And it was glorious. It was so fantastic that I just thought, wow, I just got over a huge fear by doing it. You know, to me, that was a transformational moment when I could see the beauty of why that was there. And and I managed to get to the other end, absolutely enjoying every second of it. But there was another danger ahead, and that is... (laughs) <laughs> I had to then zip line in tandem with someone <laughs> down that great big mountain. And uh, in, on my previous trip, and I won't say where, because they, everyone works hard to keep these things sure. uh, maintained. But in this case, uh, a zip line was not maintained. Uh, and in that, the guide told us how to break on the way down. And he said, this one's going to be really steep. You have to start breaking at the first tree. So at the first tree, I was jiggling, jiggling, jiggling and got to the bottom like at 120 miles an hour and hit my head into a pole and had a concussion. And so that was my last memory of zip lining. So even to get back in the saddle for me was, was like on that same trip, on that same afternoon, there were two. And, and so I grabbed the hand of this, this uh, girl from Norway that was assigned to me to be my tandem zip liner. And we went down and I'm telling you, we just screamed all the way down. It was so much fun. And, and we weren't the same weight. So we were bouncing at different rates. Oh, wow. <laughs> so things like this, um, I mean, you have to do them. And, and, you know, every time I've done them, at the end, I want to do it again. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Well, I think I think that's what makes your shows a lot of fun to watch as well, because you're not a passive traveler, obviously. You're not afraid to really immerse yourself in local culture, local adventure, and, and take some chances. And I think, you know, as someone who like you likes to travel, that's what makes a, a trip a memorable adventure, is, is not just sort of going by what some guidebook might re- recommend, but really working hard to find some things that will open your mind and, and change you as a person. I mean, I think, I'd hate to think that a big trip, you come back not changed on some level, that it hasn't transformed you in some way True. That's, that's, that's positive and productive at all. And that happens by going and finding those kinds of, of, of places and experiences like you're describing. So, um, and, and again, for those that haven't watched your show, it's, I highly encourage you to go to Amazon Prime and watch Out of Town Adventures. Is that the primary platform where they're available, Be? It is. Um, it sells around the world. It's being translated into seven different languages in How Europe. How great is that? I, I know. I, I love do you it. Get to, do you get to see the, the uh, various international translations? I, I haven't yet, although I watched the show in Scotland last year. I have not seen it in another language yet, but I look forward to seeing if they overdub me. <laughs> you're going to um we're going to come back i want after this break be what i'd like to talk about is what the plans are because season four i guess will be next right that's right and maybe you can give us a little bit of uh insight as to what that's going to be like and just other other things you've got coming up because again these are the kinds of shows that especially when, when we're sort of landlocked a little bit i think these shows are they're just fun to sort of um you know get your travel inspirations kind of going in your head again. And it's, we all want a little bit of escapism like that. And these are the kinds of shows I think that allow that. And, uh, and during the break, I would, I would like you to think if you would about maybe were there other travel shows that maybe you watched growing up? I mean, obviously your mom was a great inspiration and helped spark a lot of your interest, but be thinking about, was there a show or two that maybe also uh, gave you some inspiration in terms of style or how you do your show? So with that, I'm talking to B Broda about her terrific show, Out of Town Adventures. You can see that on Amazon Prime anytime you like. And uh, I'm Chris Epting. This is The Moment, and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, Telling and frivolous, I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover. More rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. Hey there, welcome back. I'm Chris Epting. I'm talking with B. Broda today. We're, uh, she's a very well-known globetrotter, TV host, uh, journalist, great storyteller, and her show, Out of Town Adventures, on Amazon Prime is terrific. There are three seasons already there that you can watch anytime. 39 episodes up to now, B. Yes. And more to come. <laughs> was there was there any kind of travel TV programming um, when you were growing up that, or, or any time in life that inspired you or that you think about when you're out in the field? Because I know, you know, as one who does this once in a while too, when you're out on camera, in, in your head, you're, there's sort of a, there's a mood you want to create and there's things you want to convey. What was, who did you watch that maybe helped you get to where you are? <laughs> now you're really dating me. I'm trying to figure out how Bonanza and Ed Sullivan could possibly influence. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did I tell? Okay, Ed Sullivan. So I grew up watching Ed Sullivan. So what was what was it about that show that made you uh, think about this? Well, it's a funny thing, you know. I'm I'm uh, in California for half the year, and I'm in Toronto half the year. But I was born and raised in Winnipeg where, you know, minus 60 with the wind chill is not unheard of. And everybody dreams of warmer places, of being somewhere else. So I'm not sure that there were any shows that influenced me, but I certainly buried myself in books. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of myself as not traveling. (laughs) You know, I mean, with my books and my reading, my imagination was all over the world. So I can't say that uh, any particular show... Well, yeah. what about books? Were there writers? Were there travel mm-hmm. writers or adventure writers that inspired this kind of, you know, wanderlust that you've obviously got? You know, one of the ones, one of the books I read as a, as a girl was about Amelia Earhart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of wonderful career was something I would say that influenced me more than actually watching travel shows. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really, I think my mom was the TV show. In fact, this is a funny story. When I had a talk show, um, I had her on my show once because she came back from Canada's Arctic with such amazing slides. And she would take, she'd throw a penny on the, on the lichen so that you could see the size of the flowers in comparison. And she'd take a picture at midnight and one at noon. And so I had her on my show to talk about it, a bit of nepotism, but it was an interesting segment. And I was quite pleased when the station ran it both on the six o'clock and 11 o'clock news because it was interesting. So um, that was certainly my main influence. Well, I was going to say that that is a unique situation that that really transcends any kind of television show or even book, I would imagine, having somebody. I mean, that's a story in itself, having, you know, a parent that uh, that is so well-versed in travel and brings back, I'm sure, stories and souvenirs and all kinds of things that connect mm-hmm. you to to dozens of other countries. And she loved Indigenous cultures as well. So, um, yeah, so you got that as well. You got beyond just the normal tourism stuff, and you actually got world lessons and culture and geography and everything, I bet. And lately, I have to say, I enjoy some of the shows, like, unfortunately, Anthony Bourdain, who's yeah. passed away, was doing some wonderful work. and, and uh, yeah, I totally agree. Of- 
food, you know, and connecting food with culture and the enjoyment. I mean, the people eating together, that is, a, that is such a beautiful human experience that we can all experience when we travel. So uh, I know in Vietnam, uh, the tour company I went with took us to some of the places where Anthony Bourdain went, which were wow. completely off the beaten track. You would never imagine this little narrow place with a winding staircase where you'd go up and they would serve you your fall uh, with the with the family beds just off to the side, and you know it's just it's just these small little places that uh, you know it just the food is so good and it's just so authentic and it's so representative of how people live in reality. You know that's a, a bit different from the beautiful buffet over at the big hotel. So. Uh, you know, I think that eating and sharing food is is one of those things that's easy to do. And you know what? Those can be do it, be done in your backyard. Even when I think of Toronto, um, I can go to Chinatown and, and spend a day there and feel like I've been to China. Mm-hmm. And L.A. is pretty rich that way, too. You can go to L.A.'s the- Chinatown is terrific. I, I, yeah. I think. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you. Those little enclaves are always important. And, you know, San Francisco's obviously is, is, is wonderful as well. Uh, New York's growing up in New York as I did is my favorite, but, but yeah, most major cities do have opportunities. I mean, here in Orange County, um, there's a region, an area called little Saigon, which is over in part of Westminster. And it really is. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people after the fall in the mid seventies came over here and, and established real cultural anchors there in this, in this area. And it's amazing. I mean, the markets are incredible. The produce is phenomenal. There's lots of interesting, you know, dim sum and noodle places and things like that. And it's very exotic. So you wouldn't normally equate it with Orange County, which has a certain reputation uh, for being a certain way, but you, but you can find these ethnic enclaves, I think in around most major cities, at least that are, that are really uh, expansive and interesting and, and fun to visit. Hmm, a beautiful immersion into actually going to the host country. Right. You're in, you're, when you're here in the States, you're based in the Palm Desert area, right? Right. How's that for you? You did a wonderful show, um, you know, based on hiking and, and sort of desert culture. How do you like the Palm Springs area? One thing I love about it, aside from the weather, <laughs> which is gorgeous, mm-hmm, is best. that it's uh, close to many things. I'm, I can drive to Temecula or San Diego or L.A. or Vegas or Joshua Tree National Park or the Salton Sea. There's so many places that I can go to from here. I don't feel particularly housebound, but it's beautiful. Like if you look at it today, we have snow-capped mountains that have palm trees in front and it's yeah. 81 degrees. No, it's ridiculous. The same thing here. These photos where people use sort of a strange depth of field lens where it looks like the snow-covered mountains are sort of superimposed with the palm trees. I mean, it's there. It's exaggerated a bit. But no, it's it's the stuff of postcards. And it's why, you know, it's, again, it costs us because it's why so many people move here, and speaking as a transplant myself. But yeah, it is, it is heavenly. And uh, I'm with you on the desert culture out there. I think it's wonderful. And again, I would encourage people if they haven't watched the show yet, find that episode because I think you did a really nice job oh, of uncovering you. some some cool out-of-the-way off-road places there that really highlight the beauty of it. There's two shows on the area. One is, is uh, a general overview mm-hmm. of the Palm Springs area that includes Joshua Tree. Um, and then there's another one that's hiking. 
There's a, a fellow named Philip Ferranti, who's an author of a book called 140 Hikes in and Around Palm Springs. And it's incredible. That is, that is one incredible book. If you want to find out everything about this region, areas that look like Utah that are a 15 minute drive from here. It's um, just great. I was happy to discover him. So, B, what's happening in terms of season four? I know um, you, it's going to be a little bit before you're out doing it, but what are you thinking about? What are some places you've got earmarked? You mentioned a couple of them earlier, but give us a sense of what season four is going to feel like on Out of Town Adventures. Well, that's going to be interesting. I know I still have um, some of India to do from a, from a trip I already took. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to definitely uh, enliven some of these plans that got canceled last year and continue with Pakistan where I've never been. And I think that's going to be an interesting trip as well. Um, I'm, just, I'm just going to do all the ones that got canceled in the last year. And then one thing that I want to concentrate on more is I want to sort of slide more into a, a documentary style of travel show. And I'm quite interested. I mean, we're all interested, especially these days uh, in equality and diversity and and inclusion and accessibility of travel to make travel an equal experience for anyone who's going to be traveling. So that is, that's one of my focuses. I'm actually on a committee about that, you know, to see that concept permeating the entire travel industry. So um, just conscientious traveling and trying to, trying harder, trying to make cultures shine out a little bit more, um, I think I try to do that, but mm-hmm. I would like to concentrate more on that, on that aspect, everywhere I go. Well, that's a great um, that's a great thing to aim for, and I think to your point, I think travel has really evolved nicely in terms of things like ecotourism. I mean, again, there's different, so many different categories and niches if you that you can specify now, and you know, target your own interest and, and kind of go out and find what you're looking for, and really be specific about certain kinds of tours or things like that. So, I think the timing is certainly right, and and again, it's all to that point of making it not just about travel, but about what it does to you afterwards, and I guess coming back a better person right that's right yes so and then hearkening back to people's feelings about the show where they find out something that they like in there so that's it i think of the show as a buffet where people can search through and see the one that um it, it incites their their interest mm-hmm. so that they'll go or discover on a whale tour that they want to save the whales or whatever you know just to to broaden ourselves personally that transformational aspect I think sometimes I remember I, reading a review of a travel book I wrote, and actually, actually the reporter wrote me and I said, you know, I'm probably never going to go to a bunch of a lot of these places in this book, but I just like knowing they're there. I like learning yeah. about them. I wonder <laughs> if you ever get that kind of reaction from people where they're some people are comfortable watching other people do it. Like that's enough of an experience for them because it's entertainment, right? They're watching you do it and they feel like they've almost, you know, experienced it through your eyes and what you've done. Yes, I, th- I find there are a lot of people like that, and that's fine too. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, again, it's all, I, I mean, a lot of us would much rather be out there doing it, but I think a show like yours is nice because, look, not everybody can do it. There, there are restrictions sometimes to prevent people from being able to pick up and go um, to exotic places, and a show like uh, Out of Town Adventures obviously allows them that, that window peek into the world. Have you kept track of how many countries you've been to? I know it's over 100, but I'm not sure... 
where it's at right now. I really do hope to add a lot of the African ones to my list. Mm. Uh, another funny thing about Africa and its aha discoveries for me is I love history and buildings and architecture and culture, but I've never been huge on safaris, but I was there a couple of times uh, for conferences and a safari was included in the conference. And I found that I just love them. I just love seeing the necks of giraffes walking off in the sunset. It's just beautiful to see these animals. Do you photograph natural- a lot as well and on your own, just as it, when you're there visiting, I mean, in addition to your show, do you take personal photographs and try and document it like that? I am a rabid photographer, yes. I do love to take pictures. I, I probably enjoy it more than, than the video. Uh, so mm-hmm. yes, I'm always armed with cameras. And there was a day when I used to have so many, I'd be juggling lenses. And <laughs> well, trust me. I mean, you know, that's gotten easier, obviously. Yeah. Things have become streamlined. But I think when you do sit down to finally put together a travel memoir or whatever, you know, your writing ends up becoming, I think those pictures will be great triggers to the stories and and obviously great ways to bring them to life. So you've, the fact that you've done that, I'm sure will go a long way in helping you preserve, we know just what the stories are like when you finally get down to writing them. Yes. And I will get down to writing them, but you know, in a way, a lot of my life has been put into TV shows. Mm-hmm. So uh, instead of having the book, I've got the shows. Yeah, uh, no, that's true. But maybe there's a way too where the stories behind the shows, because because it's like it's like with a show, people see what you decide to show them, but there's always stuff that goes on behind the scenes, right? That may not be right for the show, or it was about getting there, and it's almost like the story within the story that might be a way to take it. Because I know just getting there is is part of it, and and the setup and actually producing it. Um, uh, not everything ends up on camera. That's true. That's you're right, Mr. Epting. I am taking your course on memoir <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Hey, before we before we close out, so you're gonna you're gonna get back to to season four. That'll be another how many episodes? Thirteen. Wow. And uh, and from there, I guess you're just gonna keep building on your your franchise here, which seems to be doing great. And it's 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 obviously a big world. Plenty <laughs> plenty of places to go. Have you been to every continent yet? Yes. Yes, I, I have. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> there's people that count off continents too. So you've got oh. that. You, you were able to tick off Antarctica? Yes. Okay, good. Just barely. <laughs> that's the way. Yeah, that's the one that throws people off usually. So, yeah. well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big accomplishment that most people <laughs> won't get to, uh, to, to check off. So, yeah. Um, in any event, well, look, we're looking forward. I'm, I look, I know as a, as, a, as a fan of the show, I'm really anxious to see where you take it this year. And I encourage oh, everybody. You to go uh, Amazon Prime and check out B. Broda on Out of Town Adventures. Uh, she's had has an amazing career and has really developed it into a personal franchise that allows people to experience lots of cultural insights and geographic insights and historic insights they wouldn't normally get to do. So B, thank you on behalf of many in your audience that I'm sure deeply appreciate what you do. Well, thank you, Chris. It really has been a fun hour for me. It flew by, didn't it? <laughs> Yes. I'm looking at the clock. It's like, what? Anyhow, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Be Thank you. Uh, my name is Chris Epping. This has been The Moment. I'll be back next week with another interesting guest. But uh, this, was a, this was a wonderful show, B. I appreciate your time again. And thank you for listening. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. 
Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.